when you were a kid, you probably had lots of questions every single Christmas, didn't you? Questions like, did I make the nice list or the naughty list? Isn't it funny how like your parents always threatened you with that, but you always somehow managed to be on the nice list. It's a good thing that no kid has ever figured out that the whole list thing is a way for parents to get the good behavior out of them because we all seem to worry about it when we're kids, don't we? Yeah, not only that, but you had questions like, how is Santa going to get into our house if we don't have a chimney? This doesn't make sense. And then you had to pop in a DVD of like, you know, Tim Allen as Christmas as uh, as Santa Claus. So you could show this is how Santa gets into your house when you don't have a chimney. You probably had questions. If you're anything like me, you had questions like, hey, who's that big present under the tree for? Because as a kid, you assume the big present has to be the good present, right? And as you get older, you recognize that sometimes the best gifts are often in very, very small packages, but kids don't understand that. They see a big box, they get really, really excited about it. And then you might've had other questions too, like, is my stocking gonna be filled with candy or am I gonna get a package of underwear this year? Like, I don't want the underwear and socks, grandma. Just give me some chocolate and I'll be happy. As an adult, you still have questions when it comes to Christmas, but your questions shift a little bit, don't they? Rather than having questions about what's under the tree, as an adult, you start to have more questions about how you're going to pay for what's under the tree. You start to have these questions, we'll call them. We won't call them debates. We certainly won't call them arguments or fights, but you have these questions about how we're going to organize the family visitation this Christmas season so that everybody is happy. You've got big questions, you've got small questions, and of course, like the, the questions have a tendency to grow. Some of you might be asking the biggest questions of all this Christmas season. Questions like, why am I even here? Like, what's the point of all of this? And is there a God? If there is a God, why is it that I feel the way that I do? We've got questions on questions on questions. Some of you might even be asking the biggest question you could possibly ask this Christmas what does my wife want for the holidays? I have no idea what my wife wants for Christmas. We decided in our marriage quite a long time ago that we weren't going to exchange gifts on Christmas. What we decided to do instead was every Christmas, we would buy one big gift that would be for the both of us. And usually it would be something for our house. You know, we would buy something around the home that's probably a bit more of an expensive purchase and uh, something we had been putting off or something we had wanted for a long time. And we just early on said, hey, this would be a great time to do it. And it worked out well in almost every single year, except 2006, See, because in 2006, I had the best idea for what we should get together for Christmas. We had just moved into a new house and like we'd gotten a big TV that year, which was really cool. And I started thinking, you know what we need? We need a really amazing surround sound system. That's what we need. And so for Christmas, I went out and bought myself and my wife a, a super awesome Sony surround sound system. And I brought the big box home and I start unpacking it and I'm putting it together. And I'm thinking, man, when Amber walks in, she's going to be so excited. We love to watch movies and TV and stuff. And so being able to show her this awesome surround sound system, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make Christmas. She's going to love it. Wrong. She hated it. It was a giant Christmas fail, you guys. I should not have bought that. She would not have chosen 
chosen that herself. I think now she's probably glad we have it. But in the moment, it was not really something that she was excited about. So you might have questions this Christmas about presents. You might have questions about people. You might even have questions about the biggest issues in life because Christmas is often full of questions. Now, this morning in the text that we're going to read from the Bible, there is a group of people that are also asking questions. And the really cool thing about this group of people is, despite the fact that they lived thousands of years ago on the other side of the planet, despite the fact that they don't speak the same language that you speak, and they don't have any concept of the world that we have, they were actually asking the exact same type of questions that you and I ask in 2017 when it comes time for the Christmas season. So my hope is, as we study these people, the answer that they found in the first Christmas will actually be helpful and beneficial to you in 2017 at Christmas time. So we're in week three of this series we're calling Fresh Eyes. And don't worry if this is your first time this December here and you didn't catch week one and week two. That's all right. They're designed to be standalone messages. And what we're doing is we're looking at characters or groups of characters from the nativity story. And we're kind of pointing out the parts of the greatest story ever told Told that often don't get told. So two weeks ago, we looked at Mary, the mother of Jesus. Do you remember that? And we said that Mary, we tend to think about her as a super saint, you know? But in reality, she was a scared, pregnant teenage girl. Then last week, we talked about the shepherds, and we talked about how they thought that they were outcasts and outsiders, that the Christmas story might have been for other people, but not for them. And yet on the very night that Jesus was born, angels appeared to shepherds and said, come be a part of the party. And so if you guys have missed the last couple of weeks, I'd highly encourage you to jump online. You can catch all of our services there. Catch up on these past messages, um, both last week and the week before. It'll help you to experience and engage with the Christmas story a little bit differently. So go to our website. You'll find all the messages on there. Now, this morning, we're going to be talking about a group of people that go by different names, depending on which translation of the Bible you're reading, depending on which tradition you may have grown up in. They are sometimes called the Magi. Sometimes they are called the wise men, and even sometimes they are called the three kings. They probably have other names, I just don't know of them, but they definitely have at least those three. So let's look at their story. It's going to be found in Matthew chapter number two, and we'll have the verses here on the screen. You can read along right there if you want to, or follow along in your own copy of the Bible. Matthew chapter number two, we're going to read verses one and two, and then we're going to jump down to verses nine and 11 to catch kind of the full scope of their story. So the Bible says, Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in the region of Judea during the reign of King Herod. I love the fact that the Bible gives us this specific level of detail. This isn't a myth. This isn't some once upon a time. I just went and saw Star Wars yesterday and they start off every single movie with in a galaxy a long time ago, far, far away. I don't remember exactly what the wording is, but it's like myth, right? This is not that way. It gives us specifics, and it says, at this time, in this place, in this city, there was a baby born. The scripture says, about that time, around the time that Jesus was being born, some wise men, there's one way to refer to them, 
Some wise men from eastern lands arrived in the city of Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now skip down to verse number 10. The scripture says, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. The magi, the wise men, the three kings as they're often called. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And they entered the house, the place where Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus were. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and the scripture says they bowed down and worshiped him. They opened their treasure chests, and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, this is a really famous part of the Christmas story, right? Like, even if you're not a Christian, you don't go to church real regularly, it doesn't matter. You are generally familiar with the wise men. Every nativity scene you've ever seen has had these three guys. They typically have camels with them. They look like they're from a different part of the world. And so their, their story is really familiar. But you might be surprised about the number of things that we don't know about this group of guys. So pop quiz time. How many wise men were there? Three is the typical answer. But do you know the Bible actually doesn't tell us how many wise men there were? It never says there were three wise men. What the scripture says is there were three gifts that they brought, which were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's on the screen. It's not a trick question. Yeah, so these guys, they brought three gifts. And so the tradition evolved that there were three of them. They each brought one gift. But it could have been a couple of dudes, could have been 15 dudes. We really have no idea how many of these guys there actually were. Another thing that we don't really know about them is where, where were they from? We just don't know. So the Bible says they are from eastern lands, but it doesn't define eastern lands. And technically, everything on the planet is east if you go far enough, right? So there are a lot of theories and ideas about who these guys were and where they came from. Uh, one theory is that they were from Persia, which is ancient Iran. So just, just next door to Israel, that's possible. They could have also been from the area around India or Pakistan. They could have been from that section of the east. They could have come from as far as China, and traveled all of that way. But we don't know. Everything we have is a best guess. It's just a guess as to where these guys actually came from. And as I mentioned, they're sometimes referred to as the three kings. Were they actually kings? Who knows? We're just not sure. They might have been, but the Bible actually never explicitly calls them kings, and so we don't know. Our best guess, based on what the Bible tells us and what we know about the area at that time, was that these were members of a priestly religious class. And these priests of this religion, they actually had very keen and curious minds. They often believed that the secrets of the universe could be found in mystical texts and also written in the stars. So that's why they were looking up in the first place. We talked last week about the shepherds who never thought to look up. Almost all that these magi, these wise men did, was look up because they studied the stars, hoping that they would find the answers to the mysteries of the universe. These were guys who had questions. 
They lived their life asking questions and seeking answers. Questions about the natural and questions about the supernatural. They would study the motions of the stars and they were incredibly advanced in their capabilities to predict like constellations and movements of stars and direction and navigation and all of those things because of their natural questions they asked. They also asked questions about the supernatural. They had a belief in magic, so to speak. In fact, the word magi that we see in the Bible is where we get the English word magic or magician from. So these were guys that had questions, 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 questions. The cool thing is, if you have ever had questions yourself, either about the natural world or the supernatural world, then you can identify with these guys who lived thousands of years ago on the other side of the planet. You can identify with their mindset and their curiosity and their desire for knowledge and understanding. If you've ever read a horoscope, like you've ever broken open the newspaper or went to a website and you read your horoscope, even just for fun, you actually owe that to the Magi, to the astrologers. They were the ones who kind of started this whole thing originally. If you've ever gone to church, or if you've ever read a book on atheism or religion, then you have the same sort of curious disposition that these three wise men had. If you've had big questions, like if God is so good, then why is there so much evil in the world? You're actually following in the tradition of these guys. If you've had questions where you've wrestled with the idea of theism versus science, then you actually fit into the same sort of perspective that these wise men had in their day. If you've ever wondered, why are there so many religions and what good do they do? Again, I think you can grab a hold of this story of the Magi and you can identify with them because it's powerful. The answer that the Magi found at the end of their search, at the end of their quest, actually is the same answer that you and I are looking for, whether we realize it or not. Now, there's one more way that you actually might relate to the Magi, okay? You might be here this morning and you say, look, Dan, I, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a believer. I come from a pretty skeptical perspective. I've never been a part of a church. I don't plan on being a part of organized religion. And if so, I want you to know, first of all, that you're very welcome here. I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where you can come and explore Christianity, and I'm not going to pressure you. Nobody else is going to pressure you. You make decisions at your own pace. If you examine what we believe based on the teachings of Jesus, and you say, wow, this is for me, awesome. If you say, ah, I still don't think it's for me, I want you to know that we still love you and welcome you. You can belong here. When we say welcome home, that applies to every single person, regardless of your background. And if that's where you find yourself, I want you to know that the Magi, they weren't Christians or Jews either. They were a part of another religion altogether. And so in that way, some of you may strongly identify. You feel a bit like an outsider to faith in the same way that they did. The Magi didn't know God, the God of the Bible. They didn't know him the way that Mary and Joseph knew God. All they had were questions. Questions about life, questions about the afterlife, questions about who or what God is, questions about themselves and the world that they lived in. If you are here this morning with questions, 
I hope you'll pay close attention to what the Magi discover at the end of their search. Their questions were so intense that they caused these men to travel hundreds, if not thousands of kilometers in order to find an answer to what they wanted to know. When they got to Bethlehem, though, they did not find what they expected to find. They thought, well, we'll get there and we'll get an explanation. We'll get answers. Maybe we'll find a religious text or we'll find some sort of sign in the sky that will help us to better understand why are we here and what's this all about? What's the meaning of life? All of those things. And yet when they showed up in Bethlehem, they didn't find information. They found an infant. They didn't find an explanation. They actually found a person. And the thing that this story forces me and you to consider, the the truth, the teaching of this particular story in the Christmas nativity that we've got to wrestle with is that maybe, just maybe, the answers to the questions that you and I seek are not answers at all. Maybe what we're really looking for is a person. That we come like the Magi expecting information. We come expecting explanation. We come expecting an airtight argument. And yet when they got to Bethlehem and when we encounter the scripture, we actually instead find an infant. So maybe the answers to your deepest questions are not answers. Maybe, just maybe, it's a person. Now, some of that is going to be frustrating for some of you. I understand. You think to yourself, look, an infant does not answer my deepest questions. An infant doesn't explain the suffering and difficulty that I've had in my life. And I I totally understand that. If you say, Dan, this doesn't even seem like the right kind of answer. I came here because I thought you would help me to understand things on the grandest scale. You would give me answers and ideas and explanations that would help me to make sense out of everything. And when I show up and you say the answer that I'm looking for is a person, I have to be honest with you, that doesn't even seem like the right kind of answer. That's not emotionally satisfying to me. It would be the equivalent maybe of you and I sitting down to have coffee this week and you're like, okay, Pastor Dan, while I've got you here, let me ask you, what is the meaning of life and the universe and everything? And I said to you, 42 you would say, no, 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 no. That's not what I asked. I didn't ask for a number. That doesn't explain anything. No, I'm looking for some sort of, some sort of word, some sort of explanation, an argument, a theory, something that will help me to make sense out of it. The number 42, it's not satisfying. It doesn't even seem to be the right kind of answer. You're telling me that what I'm looking for is a person and the person is an infant who grew up to be a Jewish carpenter who was eventually put to death. I don't get it. And I can understand that. I really can. Uh, Understand that I've been in your shoes. I wasn't raised in the church. I didn't start going to church until I was an adult. So I know what it's like to be skeptical, to say, this is total BS. You believe a Jewish carpenter is God in the flesh and he rose from the dead. I get it because I've been there. But can we put the infant, the person aside for just a sec? And can I ask you a question that almost nobody in the world ever asks themselves? What would it take 
for you to get an emotionally satisfying answer to your deepest questions? What would it take for you to get an answer that would explain all the things that have happened in your life and all the things that have happened in our world? What would it take for you to get an answer that was so airtight and definitive that you'd be like, oh, cool, that settles it. Do you think that there's anybody, including me, who could say something that was so precise and so comprehensive that at the end of it, you would say, oh, I understand. I don't have doubts or questions or fears or suffering anymore? Probably not. And if one of those questions or if one of those answers to the deepest questions of life, if they really existed, don't you think you would have already heard them? Somebody would have already shared with you something that answers all of your questions, calms all of your doubts, and relieves all of your suffering. But nobody has, including preachers like me. Why? Because maybe the answer to the question you're looking for is not an answer at all. It's a person. Maybe that's what you really need. Maybe that's why when the wise men got to the stable in Bethlehem, they didn't find a novel. They didn't find a religious textbook. They didn't find God, you know, as like some sort of, uh, you know, mystical shape or something. And all of a sudden he shares some wisdom and then disappears. No, they found a, a child. They found an infant. And also, even if anybody could have given you an answer if they could explain, you know, all the trouble and difficulty and heartache and reasons and rationale for everything, even if somebody could give you an answer, would it actually relieve your suffering? It wouldn't. As a pastor, I talk to people all the time and they say, Dan, I've gone through some horrific stuff in my life and I just need you to help me make sense of it. I need you to explain it in a way that my brain can comprehend and I can sort of accept it and integrate it and move on and be happy again. And what I often have to do is try to tell people, listen, there actually aren't answers like that, but I can give you something much more valuable. There was a guy who showed up at my church in Florida and he said, Dan, I want to talk to you. Okay, cool. He was like aggressive right off the bat. I'd never met him before. And uh, he said, listen, my sister died about six months ago and I'm brokenhearted about it. And I want you to tell me how your good God, if he really exists, I want you to tell me how he could allow something like that to happen. And in that moment, he was asking for an explanation. But do you understand that even if I could have given him an airtight argument for why God might allow that to happen, and there are good arguments for why suffering happens in our world, but even if I could have framed it for him in that moment, it wouldn't have made him feel any better. Because what we really need are not answers. What we really need is a person. You see, when you're a kid, you know this intuitively. You stub your toe. You don't want dad to come along and give you an explanation of like platelets and coagulation and nerve endings and like, this is why this is happening, son. No, you want mom to give you a hug. That's what you're after. When you get laid off from your job, you don't want the finance department to come sit down in your office in the last hour and say, okay, here are the spreadsheets. We just want you to understand this is purely a good financial decision. No, you want your wife to look you in the eye and say, we're gonna get through this together. 
Because what we really need when we're suffering is not an explanation. It's not a theory. What we really need is somebody with us. When you're going through hard times in your life, having the right person walk into the room can flip the script. It can change the way you feel. It can take you from feeling hopeless and helpless. Just having the right person beside you can make you believe in an instant that everything will be okay. And maybe that's the way it is with God too. Maybe this is the reason that he came as a baby that he gave us a person instead of some answer, instead of some explanation. Because, let's be honest, your questions are not academic, are they? Your questions are not theoretical. They are raw, and they're deep, and they impact your life every single day. The suffering that you and I have gone through in our lives, that's not abstract, We can't talk about it like it's out there somewhere. No, it is deep inside of us. It has shaped who we are. Not only that, and even more importantly, our sin is not just theological or abstract or academic. Our brokenness, the harm that you and I do to each other, to ourselves, and to our relationship with God, That harm is very real. It is flesh and blood. And it plays out around us every single day. So that when God gave us an answer, he didn't give us some abstract idea because they actually don't satisfy. He didn't give us some sort of text to go read and figure it all out. No. Jesus came as flesh and blood because the consequences of our doubt and our questions and our suffering and our sin are flesh and blood. So the only appropriate response from God would be to send flesh and blood. That's exactly what he did. You approach this like the wise men. You think, if I just had answers... I'd feel so much better. It would ease the pain. It would make me stop questioning and doubting. The world would be a better place if I just had answers. But that's not the way things work. What you really need is a person. So I'm here to tell you that if you're exploring Christianity, there are answers to be found. But I want you to know that your deepest needs cannot be fixed by words. They can only be fixed by the word, Jesus Christ. He is the one who can satisfy what's going on in your heart. He is the one who can take you from scared and unsure and doubtful and hurt, and he can give you healing and peace and comfort in a way that theories and religion never can. What you need is a flesh and blood revelation of God to fix the flesh and blood problems that you have each and every day. Imagine like this. Let's suppose that tonight, God decides to make himself known. We walk outside and in the stars, 
He's rearranged like miraculously, magically. I don't care how you frame it. Let's suppose that God has rearranged the stars so that it is unbelievably clear that God exists. Maybe he writes, I exist across the sky. God is, just makes it really clear for dummies like me. Instantly, our world would change. In a moment, everything would be different. Next Sunday, Connect would have to meet at the Saddle Dome because everybody would be rushing in. They're like, oh my God, he's real. Let's go to church. (laughs) And this would continue. People, I mean, crime would stop. People would be nice to each other for a few months. If God only revealed himself in the sky, that is if God only gave us information and nothing else, it would change things for a short while, but not permanently. Because eventually somebody would say, okay, God exists. So what? What does it matter? He's way up there. We're way down here. I'm still hurting. He hasn't come to fix it. He hasn't done anything. He did a magic trick in the stars. So what? And in that moment, everything would crumble. We would go right back to where we are today before we had information because information is not what we need. We need to believe that God is with us. This is the gift of Christmas, that Jesus came as a person, not a book. He came in the flesh so that you could have a relationship with God. This is why we celebrate Christmas, because God is with us. And I believe with all of my heart, some of you came this morning seeking answers, and that's not what you actually need. You need to believe that God is with you, that God is with you in your heartache, that God is with you in your doubts, that God is with you in your past sufferings, that God is with you in your present love life, that God is with you when you feel tension because you've been very successful and yet you still feel unsatisfied, that God is with you both in the triumphs and the tragedies. You need to believe that God is with you. And he proved it when he showed up as a person instead of an argument. He demonstrated it when he came as an infant rather than just giving us a handful of information because you can be transformed by a relationship. Information doesn't have that power. So this morning, I want you to believe, I hope that none of you will leave this place without knowing deep down in your heart that God is with you. Not only that, but I hope you'll recognize that God who came to be with you actually hopes you'll respond to him. See, if he came in order to have a relationship, relationships demand response. You can't have a one-sided relationship. If you say, oh, I'm in a relationship with that person and they don't know who you are, don't know your name, you know, you've never had a conversation, that ain't much of a relationship. And so God came to offer you in a relationship or offer you a relationship. Like if, if God wants to be with you, the question is, do you want to be with him? This is how Christmas can change everything for you. This is how a faith like ours can change. Not because we think we're better, not because we think we have the answers because we read the Bible. Most of us haven't read the Bible. It is because we have a relationship with a person named Jesus who has transformed us from the inside out. 
So as we close this morning, I wanna give you the opportunity to respond, to begin this relationship with God through Jesus. It's not magic, it's not hard work. I mean, this is just you reaching back to the God who's reached down to you. So let me invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. You don't have to say this prayer if you don't want to, but if you are ready to make a decision for Jesus, you want him to be not just the savior, but you want him to be your savior this Christmas season. If you don't want information, but you want relationship, then this is your moment. So as we bow our heads and close our eyes, I'm just gonna invite you to repeat this simple prayer. This is not a difficult thing. You can say this out loud or to yourself, doesn't really matter. Say, dear Jesus, I believe you came for me. Thank you for being my savior. Amen. My friends, if you prayed that prayer, then your life has begun to change because now you've connected with the God of the universe. Not information about the God of the universe, but you have actually connected in relationship with him. That is a beautiful thing, and that alone has the power to transform you this Christmas.